Appreciate Brother Kevin, don't you? Amen. And I appreciate that uh, Brother Mark Coffey um, said, hey, there's a, there's a need temporarily for somebody to substitute, I believe, in South Africa for Larry Raines. No, it wasn't Larry Raines. I don't know who it was. It was, it was some young preacher. I know him, I know him very well to uh, try to introduce him. And he went over there, and he met Corley, and he met the Lord's will for his life. And uh, it's just a wonderful work, Grace Baptist Church and um, the, uh, the works and the preachers that God's raised up under Brother Kevin. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. Then Brother Jeremy's over there and uh, Brother Mark and their families. And we just got a team over there. Now Josh Sullivan, we just took him on. We got a team there. We're going to drop him because we didn't get the bus. But, uh, we're, you know, we just thank God for, uh, for this team that's making a difference in South Africa. Amen. I think they're changing the name of Port Elizabeth. That's going to really throw me off. And so uh, you, you tell us the name of the new town. Amen. Praise God. Appreciate you, brother. All right. You can take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. It's good to be here this evening. Uh, I want to say thankful for my mom. She's here. She's been a great mother. She raised a great son. And... Uh, <laughs> Did a great job, uh, and thankful for my wife. She, she's been wonderful, uh, definitely married up, and so thankful for both of them. Uh, Want to just thank the church for all that you've done for us, uh, for praying for us, and uh, for being a great sending church. And um, it really does make a difference to have a, a, a church that's behind you. And so we want to thank you for that. The name of the city. Uh, that Brother Wayne talked about. Uh, I haven't looked at it in a while. It's one of those words that doesn't stick in your mind. Kibecha, I think is the name. Kibecha, I think is the way you say it. So if you want to write that down, you can. And uh, pray for that city. Just jumble up some letters. Uh, I have to say that Lana was let down a little bit by, she's been waiting for years to take the Lord's Supper, and that wafer uh, was a little disappointing. So... So, anyways, it's not about the bread, it's about Jesus, about his body, so hopefully she gets that. Anyways, all right, Mark chapter number 10, pray for us as we go back, we leave on the 17th, um, we've got several things going on over there, one of the main things we want to get taken care of is our Bible college, uh, get it more formalized and get it a, a premise of its own, and uh, hopefully you see a lot of more young men being trained that are coming out of all the churches that are being planted by all the different missionaries that are over there, Mark, Jeremy, Josh, um, and myself. And so uh, pray for that. Uh, there's a lot of potential for a lot, lot more churches uh, to be planted. And we need strong churches. We don't need just things that will pop up. We need things that will endure for a long time. And so we really need great training going on. But we need God to work in these, these young men's hearts and transform into uh, vessels that he can use to start strong churches see more souls saved and, and more people raised up to, to uh, have the f gospel go further. And so pray for us as we go back into the fields uh, of South Africa soon. And so Mark chapter number 10 is where we want to take. We're going to read verse number 31, and then we're going to read on down. What time do we normally get out of here, by the way? 7.15. Okay, that's plenty of time. Seven, uh, Mark chapter 10, beginning, of, we're going to read verse number 31, then we're going to drop down for sake of time to verse number 35. It says, but many that are first shall be last, and the last first. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, verse 35, come unto him, saying, Master, 
We would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit one on the right hand, on thy right hand, and the other on thy left hand in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, Ye know not what ye ask. Can ye drink of the cup that I drink of, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, You shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on the left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together this evening. Thank you for your body and your blood that was put upon the cross for us and shed upon the cross for our sins. And thank you, God, that our salvation is by faith through grace. It's not of ourselves. We cannot boast. We simply cling to the grace that you've given us by faith. And we just give all glory and praise to you all the days of our lives, Lord, from beginning to end. God, we pray tonight as we look into your word that you'd help us, God, to rethink this thing of greatness. God, I pray that you'd raise up some great Christians in Whitfield Baptist Church, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a little while ago as I was thinking about Mark chapter 10, verse 31, but many that are last or first shall be last and the last first. Uh, you know, it, it seems like Jesus is almost promote, promoting a, a participation award kind of deal here, putting everyone on kind of the same level. And I remember a while back seeing a, a commercial, you may have seen it, where a, a man and his son are walking off the ball field and they had just won the championship. And uh, he's looking at his son's trophy and he looks at it and it says participation award. And uh, man, that just did not sit well with this man at all. So while his son wasn't looking for his son had actually seen the trophy, he rips that tag off and he writes, I believe champions are first place on it and then hands it to his son. And so uh, we live in a day and age of participation awards. And uh, this is not what Jesus is doing here. He's not giving out participation awards, but he is redefining greatness. And, uh, you know, we live in a world that is constantly inundating us with its style or philosophy of what it means to be great. And it's almost unavoidable, almost uh, impossible to not be influenced by that philosophy. Uh, we as adults and our children are constantly being enticed by that philosophy. We have something in us called the, the, pride, the pride in us that lusts for that sort of thing, that wants to be great in a fallen sort of way. And Jesus here is redefining it. He's redefining greatness. And uh, I want us to look at just three quick things that will help us to rethink greatness out of this little portion of Scripture. We're going to look at the, uh, some places before it as well. But the first thing I want you to see is the perfect example of greatness. And we see this in verse number 32. If you'll look back to that point uh, prior to where we read, it says, And they 
were in the way going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid, and he took again the twelve and began to tell them what things should happen unto him. Here's what he says, saying, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, shall spit upon him, and shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. So the first thing that we see here is the perfect example of greatness. As we rethink this idea of greatness, we see the, the perfect example of it. And it was foretold by Christ here. Jesus knew in detail what was going to happen to him. Now, whether or not that was by his omniscience or Jesus was uh, a scholar in the Word of God, he knew the prophecy, he knew what the Word of God said, he knew what was going to happen to him when he went to Jerusalem in detail. He knew what was going to happen to him. And yet he went anyways. It would look like Jesus would end up in last place. If you read those verses again, it says he'll be betrayed by his closest friends. It'll, he will end up being condemned on false grounds. He will be rejected by his own people. He will be mocked. He will be scourged or flogged uh, beyond recognition. He will be spit upon. He will be killed. He lost. If you were to look at it from a worldly perspective, from the philosophy of the world, Jesus lost. He was a loser in the world's eyes. But he was the perfect example of greatness. And as Christians, we're to follow in his steps. Yet it is extremely enticing and almost, uh, almost okay, even within the church, to pursue greatness in other ways in which the Bible declares and, and says is okay for us to do and, and, and by the example of Jesus Christ. But it looks like Jesus ends up in last place. But he would end up in first place. Look at verse number 34. It says on the, the end of that verse, it says, In the third day he shall rise again. He shall arise again. To all those looking that day, it looked like Jesus came in last place. He went down in an embarrassing, humiliating, a lost everything sort of way, but then he arose. And I love how Peter put it on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, in verse number 36, it says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God had met, hath made that same Jesus that the world looked upon and said he lost, that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Friends, you need to rethink the way you define greatness. You can win with men. You can succeed in this world. You can get the trophies of this world. But in the end, you lose. Or you can say, you know what? God is my witness. God does not miss anything that I do. And though man may not praise me, man may not see it, I may not get an accolade amongst men, the God of heaven that loves me and is for me and sees everything I do, he does not miss it. You've got to choose who you're going to serve. You're going to serve men, you're going to be a slave to men, or you're going to be a slave and servant to Jesus Christ. A couple other examples of this same principle is found right here in this chapter. Remember, just prior to this section, Jesus ran into a man, or actually that man came running to Jesus. He's known as the rich young ruler. He, he came running to Jesus, 
And he came running to Jesus in first place. He had everything. He had, he had gained the whole world. But the Bible says he went away sorrowful, losing his own soul as far as we know. He went away a loser. And then we read beyond this section, and we read of a, a guy named Blind Bartimaeus, old Bart. And he was blind, and he was a beggar, and he had nothing. He came to Jesus as a loser, but he went away a winner. Friend, we know it starts off with salvation. Seeing yourself as a sinner, you have nothing to offer God. You simply cling to, to, to Jesus Christ by faith. I, we had that, that scandalous grace, that, that, that grace, that righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. I can work a million years here on earth, serving and doing and all kinds of wonderful things, but it doesn't get me an inch closer to, to, to being deserving to go to heaven. Jesus finished it all on the cross. But from that point forward, I still just serve Him. I still just serve Him. Amen. If you look around, you'll see this principle all around you. You see a lot of people living first place lives. They live selfish lives. They live self-centered lives. They live self-righteous lives. But they're going to end up in last place. And I'm not just talking about lost people. Self-righteousness, uh, going about establishing their own righteousness and not willing to say, I'm broken, I'm undone, I'm bankrupt in righteousness. I need Jesus Christ for my salvation. I need to be redeemed. Not just those people, but even Christians. Because even after you've been born again, there's a temptation to continue to pursue greatness the way this world pursues greatness. And it's by serving yourself. It's by building a platform for you. It's by at the end of your life, people know you. They know what you've done. They know what you've accomplished, what you've bought, what you've earned, but they know nothing of Jesus from your life. You lost. You got your reward, is what the Bible says, with the applause of men here on this earth. That's it for all eternity. And God is offering you as His child so much more that you can be slave to Him, you can be servant to Him, and earn an eternal reward. You see some people that look like last place people. Unsuccessful. And this doesn't mean that you can't be rich. doesn't mean that you can't be successful. You should use your abilities, your talents to their fullest. But at the end of it all, all of that should scream that you are a worshiper. You are a servant of Jesus Christ. And if you have to spell that out for people, you've missed it. And, and you're off target somewhere. Your life, your life should say, servant, slave of Jesus Christ. My life is not my own. And so you look around, you see some that look like they're living first place lives according to this world, and they lose in the end. You look around, you see some that are unsuccessful in the world's eyes, man, but they're just serving faithfully. They're not worried about who gets the credit, whose name is lifted up. And there's a lot of these people you don't even know. You will never even meet them on this side of heaven, but they're going to be in front of you in the line in heaven and getting rewards because they served Him with their life. And they win in the end. First will be last, and last will be first. <coughs> and Jesus is the perfect example of this. Secondly, we see the problem with greatness. We see the problem with greatness. Look in verse number 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that you would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. In verse number six, 
uh, verse number 36, and he said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, grant unto us that we may sit, one on the right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. And listen to what Jesus says in verse number 38. But Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. You know not what you ask. The problem with greatness is many are confused about it. Many are confused about it. Jesus just told them his own path to greatness. Jesus just told them his path to being exalted by the Father. That it would take him through being mocked and scourged and beaten and forsaken and killed on a cross. And right after this, the disciples are not seeking their cross and how to carry it. They're seeking immediately their crown. Many are confused about it. You see, in God's economy, to go up, you got to go down. In order to, to be great, you got to learn to be little. you got to learn to be a, a servant in God's kingdom. And this is hard for us. And, and many that maybe not even doing anything, and you think, well, well, I'm not really much of anything. That's not what he's talking about here either. To be great in God's kingdom means that you are the greatest servant of all. Can you imagine a church that was full of people that were just ate up with serving? You're not getting that chair. I'm getting that chair. You're, you're, you're not going to clean this room. I'm going to clean this room. You're not going to go on the bus route this morning. I'm going to go on the bus route this morning. You, you sleep in. I, I, I'm not, you're not going to go knock on that house. I'm going to go knock on that house. Uh, I want to sing that special. Not because I want to be seen. I just want to help people worship the Lord. Can you imagine a church where people were actually arguing or kind of <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a sweet way wanting to, to outserve one another, not in a prideful way, but because they're ate up with Jesus and they realize that the path to greatness in the Father's eyes is by serving one another here on this earth and serving in His name? Many are confused about it. In fact, Luke says about the same passage and about the disciples after they hear what Jesus has to say about His, about his uh, humiliation that He's going to go through. Luke says this in 18.34, and they understood none of these things. And I'm afraid in the church many times, if we were talking about greatness and we're talking about the path to greatness, that that phrase would be true about many Christians, that we understand none of these things because we have bitten into the philosophy of the world that it's somehow okay to build up ourselves to be okay with a little bit of pride in our life. And it's not. God hates it. The Bible says he resists the proud. That means you're on the other team from God. You're playing against God when you're harboring pride in your heart. When you're building up pride and building up self, you've put yourself on the other team. But he gives his grace to the humble. You want God's enablement? It's through humility. You want God's power? You want God's strength? You want that thing that you need to get through the trials of life? It's through humility. It's not through pride. These are Christ's disciples, and they're confused about greatness. How much more are people and many Christians today? Many just want the best position, place, and power, and they want it now, and they want it for them, and they want it for their children. And I get it. I can see how that, would be, how that would, would be a desire in your heart, but it, it's, it's absolutely wrong. James and John, they wanted the best place in God's kingdom. 
the right and the left place beside the throne, ruling and reigning with Christ. Why not just go out and ask for it? I guess they thought. And the Bible tells us, Mark, Matthew chapter 20, here it, it seems to, it leads us to believe that, that James and John went and asked, but other portions of Scripture help us to see that that was their desire, but they actually, their mom went on their behalf. On Mother's Day, your mom went and asked Jesus for the right and the left hand uh, side of the throne with Jesus. In Matthew 20, 20, it says, Then came to him mother, the mother, Jesus' aunt uh, of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these two my sons may sit, the one on the right hand, and the one on the left in thy kingdom. Parents, we got to take note here. Got to take note here. We have to. We've got some kids that are graduating high school. Man, there's so much potential. There is so much potential for good. But man, there is so much potential for absolute shame and regret. You pursue greatness the wrong way and you will live to regret it. If you truly want great kids, if you truly want great kids, and I've not cornered the market on this. Corley has done a fantastic job raising our kids up to this point. But if you truly want great kids, you have to train your kids to be servants of Jesus Christ. You understand that you will serve something. You will serve someone. Your kids will serve someone. You need to train them to serve the one that truly, 100%, without any, anything behind the scenes, any kind of, uh, of evil, loves them and cares for them and has their best at heart. And His name is Jesus. Train them to serve, to be a slave to Jesus Christ. You say, that, that just doesn't sound good. And I'm telling you, that is the path to greatness. Amen. That is the path to greatness. That's it. doesn't matter how much money they make. doesn't matter who, who knows their name and how far they climb the, 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 the ladder of success if they miss out on serving Jesus. It's earned... He tells us here, through drinking, drinking a cup and baptism. It's what he spoke of in verse number 33 and 34. Those things that he went through himself. But in verse 38 and 39, he says, Jesus said unto them, You know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. They really don't know what they're speaking about. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of, and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall ye be baptized. It's through baptism and the drinking of the cup that the path of, to greatness is found. What does he mean by this? Well, he means a cup, first of all, in Scriptures, is spoken of both in the positive and the, neg and the negative. In Psalm 23.5, the familiar psalm, it says the, the, the psalmist said God made his cup to run over in the presence of his enemies. The, the peace, the blessing, the joy, even in the presence of an enemy, God has the ability to lay a table out. God has the ability to fill your cup, run it over with inexplicable joy in the worst of circumstances. So it can be a wonderful thing. But then it also can be a, a, a bad thing. As we read in Revelation chapter 16, verse 19, the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. 
But in the end, it's really what life hands you, over which many times you have no choice as what is put in the cup, but you have a choice in how you handle and receive the cup, but you must drink the cup. And that's where greatness is found, how we handle that cup. Jesus knew the cup of which he had to drink in the garden. He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. He knew it was a terrible cup to drink. It would mean separation uh, even from his father on the cross. But there was no other way. The disciples were clueless. Jesus was headed for glory through persecution and trial and death and knew it full well. The disciples were headed for glory, but they saw the path leading to it much differently than Jesus knew it was going to be for them. So it was a cup, but it's also, also he mentions baptism here tonight. I get the privilege of baptizing my daughter, Lana. It means, means to immerse, to be completely uh, covered, and in, 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 in particularly in water here. But this baptism was something that would completely and utterly affect Christ and would completely and utterly affect his disciples. It would affect, it would touch every aspect of their life. The path to greatness and bearing your cross and serving Jesus, it's something that is going to touch every aspect of your life. It's going to completely immerse you. It is extremely uncomfortable. Jesus told us here in this passage, he said, there's no one that has left father, mother, brother, sister, and lands for the gospel's sake and for mine that will not receive a hundredfold in mothers, brothers, sisters, lands in this life and eternal life and life to come. What do you mean by that? It means, it means when you get saved and you, you begin to serve him and, and maybe you do some sacrifices for him, there's churches all over this world filled with believers when, when his family thought he had lost his mind and they came to get him, his, someone said, hey, Jesus, your mom and your brothers are outside. They want you. And he said, who are my father and my brother? Or my mother and my brothers? He said, those that do the will of my father. And he pointed to his disciples. We have, we have family all over the world as Christians, mothers and brothers and sisters all over the world. We gain so much, but he said, with persecutions. With persecutions. These baptisms, these trials that we will go through as we follow Christ, as we seek to be great. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. He that desires to be first, simply you've got to rethink what it means to be first, what it means to be great, and it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. You want to be great? Fantastic. Fantastic. But don't do it the loser way of the world. You're going to lose in the end. You're going to lose eternal reward. You're going to lose opportunities to, to bring glory to your Savior. Do it the way that Jesus lays out here, by serving Him, by being the greatest servant in the church. A.B. Bruce, in connection with this, once wrote, If crosses would leave us alone, we would leave them alone too. But they don't. They're handed to us. They are cups given to us. It's a baptism. They're baptisms that immerse us and change us forever. Psalm 42.7 says, It's all the waves and thy billows are gone over me. 
those crosses, those experiences, those trials that we experience in this life. On the path to greatness as we serve Jesus, it's, it's not, not going to be easy. There's all kinds of wonderful things along the way, but it's not easy. We see that seeking it the wrong way causes a lot of contention. The other disciples, the Bible says in verse number 41, that they were much displeased, I think is where it says. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and with John. The Bible says in Proverbs 13.10, only by pride cometh contention. Remember the disciples in the previous chapter were fighting over who would be the greatest. It wasn't because the other ten were more spiritual and couldn't believe the audacity of James and John. They were simply upset that maybe they beat them to the punch and they asked for this. It's a rarity to hear of a problem in a church or amongst Christians when someone is selflessly serving without caring for the credit. And that's the path to greatness. If there's contention between us, it's probably because we're concerned with credit. It's probably because we're concerned with our own name. We're nameless servants. If your path to greatness makes you despise others or entices Christians to despise you, you're probably on the wrong path. God is the one, listen to this, God is the one, God is the one that ultimately can lift you up to where you need to be in due season. If He can do it, the Bible says in Daniel 2.21, He removeth kings and setteth up kings. If He can do it for kings, He can do it for you. He knows where you're at. He cares for you. And in the end, all that really matters is the judgment of God. All that really matters is the way He sees things. And even on my best day, I still make mistakes in my judgment and my discernment and the way I look at things. But God never makes a mistake. So in your heart of hearts, you need to get it nailed down. I am a servant of Jesus. The problem Jesus pointed out in the previous chapter was not wanting to be greater or first, but what you mean by being great or by being first. In Mark chapter 9, verse 35, he sat down and he called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. If you want to be great, and I hope you do, I think God wants all of his children to be great. God wants you to be great. And the way you become great is by becoming the greatest servant, or that politically incorrect word, slave of Jesus Christ. The path to greatness. I'm going to stop there tonight. I want you to rethink greatness. Maybe rethink the path or the tra tra trajectory that you're sending your children on. What you're setting them up on to become great. You need to take this to heart. Now, sometimes I get accused of being a humble man. And I, I want to assure you, I'm an extremely prideful man. I hate it. Like every time I turn around, I'm like, why am I getting angry over this? Why am I getting upset over this? And you know why it is? Because there's pride. You know what that pride is doing? It's getting me off the path to greatness. I want to be great for the one that really matters to. What path are you on tonight? How do you define greatness? 
There's only one definition that matters. Being the servant of all under Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for this time together this evening. Please use your word in Jesus' name.